Hi, this is Daniel Headley. Thank you for joining us on Six Feet Apart, a production of Cloud and Bridge, the Ministry of Heights Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Today, I am talking with Shelly Rep of Dream Center, New Mexico. Shelly was uh, preaching at our service last week, and she, um, well, her, her organization, Dream Center, New Mexico, is the recipient of our Easter offering this year. And uh, so just a plug for that, folks, if you want to donate to uh, Dream Center New Mexico and the wonderful work they're doing, please uh, send your gifts to Heights Community Presbyterian Church and put on the memo line, Easter Offering. Shelly, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on, Daniel. Thank you very much. It's great to have you, and it's great to hear your voice again. And uh, you and I did some preparation work beforehand, so we have some ideas of what we want to talk about. That's Shelly, always a good thing, right? Indeed. Shelly, <laughs> you, uh, you did a wonderful job uh, in our service last week. And honestly, I was moved. I think many, many other people were moved uh, by what you had to say. I, I learned a lot, and I'm sure others did too. And so for this meeting, I wanted to talk with you a little bit more in detail about how we can, of course, learn more about the problem and then work through some of the fear that keeps us from participating and move into faithful action uh, for the kingdom of God. So I want you to help us through that. Um, that, that that's the roadmap, and we're going to walk through that. So Shelly, could you uh, give us a little more information and in, in context and understanding of the problem and the scope that we're facing here in Albuquerque, New Mexico? Yes, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity to do this. So one of the things that our organization does is we're, we're actually a member of the New Mexico Human Trafficking Task Force. So this task force is a collaborative force between law enforcement agencies um, headed up by the New Mexico Attorney General's Office and then service provider agencies. And so we would be considered a service provider. So we work super collaboratively with them. And because of that, um, we're able to access some of the, the numbers of what's happening within the state of New Mexico. And this task force has been around since 2016. So some of the numbers I'm going to give you are kind of what's been, been happening in these last three years, 2016 through 2019. Um, we don't have our reports yet for 2020 for the first quarter. So if that's if that sounds that's okay. No, I think that's, that's better than most data we get nowadays, especially when data is pin, pinned to census information. Right, exactly, exactly. And it is, it's always a challenge to collect data in general, but with this population, because again, this is a hidden population, um, there's a lot of different um, moving pieces to collecting the data, so I know it can be, it can be challenging. So the first number that I'm going to give you is the number of confirmed victims that have been found through law enforcement activities. So these are across the state of New Mexico, any law enforcement agency. And so for the last three years, 2016 to 2019, there are 299 confirmed um, human trafficking victims in the state of New Mexico through law enforcement. And the way that that breaks down is that 271 of them are sex trafficking victims, 19 would be labor trafficking, and then nine would be sex and labor trafficking. So that's the law enforcement side that we see um, here, which means that they're confirmed through law enforcement. So that means charges are pending at some level with, um, with those cases or with those, those people. On the service provider side, because we don't, um, we don't necessarily 
get all of the victims through law enforcement. So we will get referrals from um, other homeless agencies or from hospital emergency rooms or other, you know, other other kinds of sources. Right. And so um, for so on the side where we're looking at the service providers, those the number of victims that have been identified through service providers is eleven hundred. So we've got eleven hundred victims for three years service provider and um, almost 300 for law enforcement. So we're looking at, you know, 1,400, almost 1,500 um, human trafficking victims identified in three years in New Mexico. Now, just to be clear, uh, do you think it's, it's accurate to add those numbers together or do you think those numbers overlap? So I think it's accurate to add. We, I went ahead when I pulled my reports, I went ahead and I pulled the ones that, um, that I, I know are crossovers and that way we could keep those numbers as clean as possible. There could be a few that I missed, but I feel pretty confident about that number. And, um, and in fact, that number is, you know, the way human trafficking happens is it's really um, based on population. And so in looking at the population of New Mexico, the estimate population-wise, if we do that kind of statistical analysis, is that there's probably between um, 15 and 18 thousand victims of human trafficking in our state right now. So even what the estimate of number of victims versus those that have been identified is, uh, there's a pretty significant difference between those numbers. That's, a, that's an overwhelming number to think about. It is an overwhelming number and it's a, it's a hidden number. It's, you know, it's one that, um, that I don't think people want to think about, but, but essentially we have found human trafficking cases uh, throughout the state of New Mexico in small communities, not just Albuquerque. Um, we do have some hot spots in Albuquerque where we see a lot more trafficking. Um, so Albuquerque, or not in, sorry, I think I said hot spots in Albuquerque, I meant in the state. Um, Albuquerque is definitely a hot spot. Um, we've got I-40 and I-25 that intersect um, in the state of New Mexico and in Albuquerque specifically. So there are two uh, truck stops that are known for trafficking in our city. And so there's a lot of outreach that's done at those two truck stops. Um, but we know that Albuquerque is a big hot spot since we're the population center for the state. But we have two other hot spots. So one of the hot spots, as you would probably guess, is right on our border with Texas and Mexico, just right there. Right. Um, because of the, the refugee crisis and the number of people trying to get into the United States, we see a hot spot for human trafficking there. And then the third hot spot is on our uh, border with Texas, um, where the oil fields are. And so we see that as a big hot spot there as well with the development of the man camps that have formed because of those oil fields. Yeah, this seems to be an age old thing um, where we have you know, either in times of war or times of human migration where men go to work, unfortunately, this seems to follow. It's, it's true. It is. It's, um, it's something that, again, people have been aware of for years. And I think a lot of times, uh, or for many, many years and centuries, people probably thought of it as fairly victimless. Um, it was a victimless crime and didn't realize the coercion that was involved and the abuse that was involved and, and all that's come to light. And so for us, we really view human trafficking as modern day slavery. And mm -hmm. so it, you know, it's encompassed kind of a larger lens um, when we look at it that way. Now, I was recently, I don't know, not recently, but during the last Super Bowl, I was surprised to learn that, uh, that 
somehow these large sporting events um, also tend to become hotspot moments for human trafficking. Can you share insight on that? Absolutely. You're exactly right. It's not that the Super Bowl is this horrible event that promotes human trafficking. Again, it goes back to this population thing that happens. So whenever you have a large event in a city outside of where you would normally be, um, there's kind of this, this concept or this, this thought that happens with Americans is that I'm, I'm away from my sources of um, accountability. I'm not necessarily with my wife and children or something like that. So kind of this whole thought, like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's exactly what that, I was thinking. Exactly. That same concept is what happens around these large sporting events. And so that's why we see these increases in trafficking um, because of that. But it is not exclusive to something like the Super Bowl. So we see that happening in New Mexico, too, specifically in Albuquerque. So do you want to know what our Super Bowls are? Well, that was my next question, because I, yeah. I feel like I was scared to say Balloon Fiesta. Yeah, you're, you are exactly right. So there are three that we know of in Albuquerque that um, we see big jumps in, uh, in trafficking where, where people are brought from outside of the state of New Mexico into New Mexico to be trafficked specifically for these events. And so those events are um, the Gathering of Nations, the big powwow that actually has yep. been canceled for this year. So the Gathering of Nations, um, and then this really, really specific corridor of time with the State Fair of New Mexico yeah. and the Balloon Fiesta being so close together. So we see those population bumps in Albuquerque and we see those bumps in human trafficking victims as well. It's amazing because I don't think I've ever heard anyone say we need to be praying during those time periods for that specific scenario that's going on right under our noses. That's right. So let's start that, Daniel. Me and you, now let's let's get it out. Let's start praying during those times. We really need to. It's it's such an eye-opener, just as you said that. You know, it didn't occur to me. I, I thought of the Super Bowl example, and then, and then I started, as you were talking, I thought, wait a minute, what's our Super Bowl? And then I thought, oh, no, right. does that happen in Albuquerque during Balloon Fiesta, which I think of as a family time. Yeah, yeah, you do. And it's, it's not something um, that you're going to see necessarily people, women, children being trafficked um, real accessibly there on the grounds of the Bloom Fiesta. You do see that a lot more at the State Fair, actually. But um, the way trafficking has evolved in these recent years is that it happens online. And so dates, so to speak, are set up online. And, um, and then these, these women, these children, these men are brought to the hotel or the motel where the person is staying specifically, or that person is brought to them if they've rented um, a room in a hotel or motel. So that's, so that's why you're not seeing it necessarily on the streets, but it's absolutely happening. Now, now you and I talked beforehand that I want to make sure this isn't just an informational session, because I think sometimes it's kind of this addiction we have with news and information where we, we, we have this, this dark desire to know and see and under but we don't really want to get involved because of the natural fear that kicks in as we get to see and know more. And so, I, right. you know, just as you're saying all this stuff, I feel like if we really allow ourselves to enter into what that means, you know, that these moments that we're there with our families having a good time, but meanwhile, someone is having a horrible time. Someone's life is being transformed in a terrible way during these moments that we're cherishing and photographing as wonderful times in our lives. Um, I want to go ahead and enter into that and say, look, this is hurting a lot of people. And, 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 I, and I want to force us to think about that some more, to really process that and, and to even allow it to enter into some of that fear 
Um, but I want to move from that fear into a faithful response. And so, so, so let's talk about that. Let's move into the fear that we all experience and, of course, that the victims are experiencing. Um, you know, and, and, and let's process that a little bit. So can you give us some context? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that I want to say is that um, within human trafficking in the United States, the, the carve out that I really want to focus on is what's called DMST, which stands for domestic minor sex trafficking. And the reason I want to focus on that is because it's important for us as people to understand that, um, that the recruitment into the the commercial sex industry happens at a young age and it's happening younger and younger and younger as time is increasing as time is passing by and so um we need to really focus on these kids we've got to look at this as kind of this upstream concept and focus on these younger victims and then preventing people from being pushed into the horrible river of human trafficking itself so a lot of what i'm going to Kind of speak about Daniel is really going to be towards these these younger folks that are being trafficked. If that's that's cool with you. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that touches into that. And and, and I think as we think about those things, um, you know, I'm reminded of you know th th this is of course a show that's that's uh, that's driven by the people of God, and um, and I'm thinking about how God feels about. The, the children among us and, and the, the harm that we inflict on children. And so before we jump into that, let's, let, let's look at that for a moment. Let's think about how God uh, feels about that. Um, and you and I talked a little bit about a passage that you were interested in um, us considering, which is Isaiah chapter one, verse 17. Um, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Of course, yes. there are many examples in the prophets of Israel's guilt uh, for not defending the fatherless. Uh, Jesus himself said that, um, that, that those who mislead uh, the children, it's, for, the, for those people it is, it, who do that, it would be better if a millstone was tied around their neck and they were thrown into a river. Um, this is serious business, this uh, harming of children and, and, and uh, misleading them. So let, let's go ahead and enter into that. Um, uh, okay. Piece. Yeah, so um, so the first thing that I want to, to say about that is I want to kind of talk about um, how, uh, how a child, how a young person becomes a human trafficking victim. And, and the reason is because I think one of the ways that you can dispel fear is, um, is understanding what, what these causes are. How does this happen? Because it's really hard for a lot of people to wrap their brain around the thought that a 12-year-old girl or a 12-year-old boy, for that matter, um, could be like a prostitute, like on the street or in a hotel or something, something like that. It's unthinkable for me. I, don't, I can't it's, even, I can't process it, but please right. help, help me understand it. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there are, essentially there are four different avenues, so to speak, into the commercial sex industry for anybody, but specifically for children. And so I'm just going to go over those super quick, just so that you have a little bit of knowledge about that. And um, because again, we don't want you to be afraid um, and have misconceptions. So the first, the first way that we see people being coerced, young people being coerced into trafficking is what's called lover boy trafficking. And so essentially, we see a huge rise in this because of social media and just this whole transfer from face-to-face -face relationships to these online relationships that can be absolutely um, misconceptions. You know, it doesn't have to be you're talking to another 12-year-old 
girl there at the end. It can be, you know, the creepy 75 year old guy or whatever. But lover boy trafficking is um, basically when a trafficker starts a relationship with a person online um, and gets the, they manipulate them to form a romantic attachment with them. And then essentially that person meets them, develops this relationship, and then ends up being what's called turned out, where they end up being trafficked through that. And so that's one of the, one of the venues. And um, the reason I say that is because we've all got kids with cell phones, or maybe not all of us, but many of us have kids with cell phones. And we need to be aware that those social media platforms, um, Snapchat, Facebook, even though I know Facebook's for old people, but Facebook, Instagram, these are all things um, that are used by traffickers to develop these fake relationships with, um, with young people. Um, have you ever been to Walmart? And uh, they have kind of at the beginning when you first walk into Walmart, they have a community billboard and they've got all these little posters of missing and exploited children. I've never seen stop, it. Yeah. So if you stop, if you stop and you look at those, um, though that community board, you'll see all these missing and exploited children, um, like posts are little mini posters. And what you will see time and time again, Daniel, is you'll see something like 14 year old girl last seen in the company of 35 year old man, 16 year old, girl runs, you know, run away last scene with 22 year old, you know, man, that type of thing. So you see these huge age differences, these relationships where these kids develop this relationship. They think that this person is going to be the answer to all their problems and all their dreams. And they leave the safety of their school, the safety of their home, the safety of those around them. And they end up being um, in this you know, detrimental trafficking relationship with the person. So that would be the first one. So we'd call that lover boy trafficking. Which is simply um, horrifying. It's, it's horrifying, but the thing is that it's common. Like it's, it's super common. Um, you know, this is, you're doing this as a podcast, so nobody's seeing me. So unless they saw me on um, the Cloud and Bridge sermon that I did, like I could be portraying myself as anyone, right? right. I mean, it, it can happen. So so we need to be aware. Parents need to be aware. Um, and I've got some tips about that um, if we want to get to that at some point. So that's the okay. first one. The second one, which is even more horrific, if you ask me, is what's called familial sex trafficking. So essentially, this is when parents traffic their children or relatives traffic their relatives. So uncle traffics a niece, something like that. And um, Yes, that's worse. Familial, I agree. It, it, it is worse because this is where you should be safe and you're not. And familial trafficking happens in a couple of different ways. So what we've seen a lot in New Mexico has, in fact, was on the news not that long ago, probably six months ago. Um, no, it's been probably a year. Uh, a teacher called in and reported that her second grade student was being trafficked. And they did the investigation. And sure enough, mom and dad were trafficking this little girl. And they were trafficking her because they were addicted and they needed drug money. Um, when you think about Victoria Martins, that horrible case from um, child abuse case from Rio Rancho. Well, Victoria's mother sold her online um, to people. So, so this aspect of familial trafficking is horrific, but it's happening in our city. It's happening in our state. The other aspect of familial trafficking is that this is something that can happen within 
generations of family. So it's almost part of the family dynamic where mom was um, prostituted by her father or an uncle, and then she ends up prostituting her child. And so you can see it happening both ways. And the hard thing with familial trafficking um, is that it can be really, really difficult to find. Uh, a lot of people aren't aware of the the word usage, the things that they say um, around that. And then what we've seen, we had a case with one of our adult clients whose trafficking experience started when she was nine. Her dad trafficked her and um, she had told her teacher and they had, you know, CPS come out to the house a couple of times and the family just got tired of it. So they, they took her and just homeschooled her after that and she just completely disappeared off the radar. So very scary to think about and very difficult to find. And like you said, and it's, uh, it reminds me of the scripture idea that uh, the sins of the fathers uh, visit the children. Um, You're exactly right. And so we're talking about breaking um, patterns. Uh, in, in order to be a part of a solution, we're talking about actually breaking cycles and patterns of corruption, if you will. Right. You're, you're exactly right. I think that you do. And I think as we were talking earlier is that we need to expose some light into these dark corners. I mean, I think everybody probably has junk in their life that they wish nobody knew about, but these kinds of things are happening. And if we don't, we don't realize or we think that it doesn't happen within the the church community or the Christian community, then, then we are sorely mistaken um, because it does. Uh, there was a, a study that was done and it, it was talking about who are the buyers, like who are the people buying these children? And 85% of all the buyers were white males, middle class. And so they, and it was almost evenly split between vocations like teachers, ministers, business people, owners, and employees, um, just across, just across the spectrum of jobs. There wasn't any one job. It wasn't just the blue collar workers who were buying these children. It was just across the spectrum of um, these different careers, people buying children, children, Daniel, children, and um, unfortunately, so, I've heard I've heard that number before, and so it's not the first time I've heard it. So I've processed the shock of that already once before, and yeah. it's just yeah. So I mean, all this, all this, um, everything you're saying, I feel like it it, ha it can have the uh, it has the effect on me of simultaneously, I get to be honest, amplifying fear, but also amplifying anger. So, right. so, I mean, how do we manage these emotions of, you know, feeling this anger, feeling this fear? How do you go from that to going to where you've landed now of being part of a solution? So I think that um, we, I think we need to look at what God is calling us to do because there are different, different pieces and we all play a different part of this. You know, when, when God talks in the, in, in his word about, um, we're all part of the same body. We just have different functions. So within that, I think that as we look at the enormity of this kind of crime, what is making your heart beat about something like that and listening to that? So for you, Daniel, it might be, this is such injustice. I need to I need to call my lawmakers and talk to my lawmakers about this. Or it could be something like, I'm a business owner. I need to make sure that the people in my business understand what this crime is. Um, there are many, many different um, 
dimensions to this crime. So there needs to be many different reactions to that. So what I would say is that for any and all of us, um, we need to look at ourselves and take this to prayer and take this to our God and say, what would you have me do? What would you lead me to do? And walk in faithfulness to that. Um, it's easy to be caught up in the fear of it. Um, and I can tell you, I've, you know, like I've been working with human trafficking victims since 2011. Um, so ask me, how many times have you been chased by a trafficker? Ask me, ask me. How many times have you been chased by a trafficker? Zero. Really? Zero times. Um, we have had one time. How many times? Where, have, sorry, how many times have you been confronted by someone who was, say, someone's pimp? So one time, and it wasn't a face-to-face -face confrontation. It was we were doing outreach, and um, a trafficker drove by and screamed at us, and that that was what it was. Now that doesn't mean that he couldn't have pulled out guns. Like I mean, I'm not foolish enough to think that something like that um, couldn't could happen. happen like that could happen um, but the reality is um, as we're working with this population what we see more and more is that um, traffickers are aware that law enforcement is looking at what's happening um, there are more and more stings that are happening and then the other thing which is so 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 sad is that uh, these victims are easy to come by like it is easy to get replacements which is horrific but true and um, so we we have not had any dangerous encounters we have had a trafficker one time um, wait for a, a girl was testifying in court, and so he was he was seen by law enforcement waiting outside the the court, and so we, we took her out a different door and exited a different door, and that's the most activity that we that we've seen. Now, again, that doesn't mean that there's not scary things out there, but I I think we have to understand that um, we don't live Breaking Bad, you know, like those kinds of things aren't always going to happen, and. I think that if God's calling you to do something, you have to be faithful to that calling. You have to be faithful. You don't go in foolishly, like you do your research, but you have to go in faith. So how do people, so I want to think in categories for a moment, and if you could help me with that. How do people say young couples or single people or uh, couples with children or um, uh, empty nesters, uh, retired folks, how do, how do these different stages in life, uh, folks in different places in life, how do they all find a place helping? Because people might say, well, that's, that, that doesn't work for me now, or I can't really do that now because of this or that. How do, how do you know, you, you say that you talk about like a whole body, everyone has a part to play. How does, let, let's, let's really get rubber meat to the road kind of thing here. Sure. So, um, so I would say this, and I, I'm speaking for my organization as a faith organization. So I'm just kind of putting it out there with what, with what we do. Um, so I would recommend for people who are in college or are newly married who don't have young children, um, be part of an outreach team or outreach efforts within that. Um, outreach is not as scary as it sounds. It's actually super fun. And it's a great way to meet and really develop empathy um, in that arena. So if we're looking at somebody like that, like doing outreach is a huge, 
huge thing that they can do. Families can work on this together. I think first of all, so first of all, part of my back history, I was a children's pastor for 22 years. So I've got a pretty big soft spot for young kids um, in my heart. One of the things though that I have changed my opinion on is I think parents need to talk to their kids about these kinds of issues. They're going to be confronted with them. Talk to them. So I would say in a measure with families with children is be willing to have these kinds of conversations. And I'm happy to have people reach out to me and I can give them some tips on that um, around that to protect their own children. But then to develop empathy and then to live on mission is that you can, you can do some things to even help with outreach or here. So put together a food drive. We hand out a ton of food. Let's do a food drive. What, what kinds of things can we do? Do like a panty drive. You know, we give out a lot of underwear. Mm -hmm. So things like that, that you can do with your children and talk about um, why and how you're supporting people. I mean, I don't think you need to bring your kids out to do outreach. I think that might be a little much, but you can do these things, be on mission and tell them. So if you're in the business world and you know people or you have contacts, Help with raising funds. It doesn't have to be for my organization. All of the organizations need fundraising. Help get involved with raising that awareness and raising funds. If you know somebody who knows somebody, so you know somebody who knows the governor, well, how can we get information to them? So looking at the circle of people, the contacts that people, that God has put in your life, and how can we get information to them so they, they can get information? information to the next person. Um, for our retired people, here's the thing is we love mentors. It is so important with the, with the women that we work with. Um, they need to, they need to have somebody they can trust, somebody that can just sit with them and listen to this crazy stuff and be able to still help them. Daniel, you would not believe how many like life skills lessons we've had to teach because we've had people who've literally been kept in captivity and they don't know how to um, balance a budget. They don't know how to cook food other than putting something in the microwave. They don't wow. know how to do their laundry. So we're talking all these really simple things that we kind of grow up taking for granted as just knowing. They don't have that. Um, we with them. So having mentors that can go shopping with them, mentors to even sit in the doctor's office when they have to go to a doctor's appointment because they're scared, those kinds of people across the board, I mean, that can be any age, but what we see with our, our seniors is they tend to have a little bit more time during the day and make fabulous mentors um, for, these, for these people. That's incredible. You know, Shelly, it's so funny because I didn't prep you for that and you were ready. I am excited. <laughs> Well, because I think about it a lot, because I do think everybody has a part, because here's the thing. This is what I really believe, is that this is, this is God's mission. This is God's people's calling. Like, I want God's people to rise up and be the problem solvers for this issue. Like, let's take this on. Let's solve it. And you know what, Daniel? It's, it is crazy. I mean, I, I sit on a lot of CYFD meetings, and one of the things that um, we, we heard coming down from CYFD from the head of the Department of Behavioral Health and her name's Bryce and so Bryce said what we see across the United States is that the faith-based organizations are the ones that rally and care for children like no other and that's what I want us to do in New Mexico is let's rally and let's care for our children. That's great and that's a wonderful testimony to have. 
So Shelley, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about how New Mexico Dream Center in particular is going to work to facilitate, meet some of these goals, train people, uh, you know, connect people to need. How are you all, you know, explain the ministry and how are you actually hoping to achieve these goals? Sure. So we, we've got two programs within our, um, within our ministry. So one is an aftercare program for identified survivors of human trafficking. And so within that, that means we provide case management, we provide housing, we can provide emergency resources, anything that somebody needs help with after they've been identified as a survivor. And most of our clients come to us as referrals from law enforcement. So within that program, um, our, our goals are to be able to expand, to be able to have more beds available because we don't have a lot of bed space. So we would love to be able to expand that program so that we've got, um, we've got a place for people to land. Um, the other program that we have is the Harbor, which is an outreach to homeless youth because homeless youth are absolutely preyed upon um, as vulnerable victims by traffickers in our city. And so they have to either, not always, but frequently will have to live by what we call survival sex. And I talked about that a little bit um, mm -hmm. in the other thing. But um, if we can provide resources for them, uh, then maybe they don't have to rely on survival sex or fall into a, a relationship with a trafficker. So we have that as this outreach arm. What we would really like to see is we'd really like to see service provision for these minors. So our, our goal is to be able to have a group home and then beyond that, what's called a transitional living program so they can start to live independently for minors who've been trafficked, specifically between the ages of probably 14 to 18 years old. The reason I say that is because we know a large percentage of, of victims are fall into that age category, but our state does not have any specialized resources. So we have foster parents who end up with trafficking victims in their home and they have no idea that they have a trafficked child in their home and they're not prepared on how to, to care for that child. Um, these kids end up homeless. They get moved around and when they are identified, they are sent out of state. Um, we, we don't have good resources and it's time that we provide those resources here. So our goal is to do a fundraising campaign. Um, you know, our goal this year was to do the fundraising campaign. So we're, we're seeing how that lays out with yeah. the coronavirus um, to be able to have earnest money to put down on a property. And then we are looking at a couple of different grant options for the, um, the program part of it to be able to pay employees. And then also with a huge aspect of it is that we're going to continue to rely on volunteers. My agency is 98% volunteer run and led. Um, we only have three people on payroll. <laughs> so, um, be, and, but we get a lot of stuff done because we've got a lot of people who are committed and I want to make sure that the resources that do come in are going to where they're supposed to go, that they're going to the people who need them. And so we, we try to keep things as lean as possible um, and know that we're going to need to rely on volunteers. And I want to recruit my volunteers from from Christian churches. Like I need people who believe in Jesus and the healing power, um, the restoration power of Jesus to be my mentors and my helpers with all of this. That's wonderful. 
I, you know, as you were talking or with me earlier, you, and you already mentioned CYFD once, and in our conversation previously, you mentioned APS, and it sounds like you're, you are actually leveraging some of the existing systems to be more efficient with what you do. Can you explain how you, um, how you, you know, handle donations and other services and how you work with our existing secular organizations to, to partner? Yes, absolutely. Um, I believe in the funnel system. I totally believe that when God gives you something, um, it's not your job to hold on to it, but it's your job to give it away. So what we done is we've been able to, we, when we opened the harbor, we um, invited youth serving agencies to come and see what we were doing, where we are, and how can we partner with them. And so um, that's how we started our relationship with uh, the APS Title I Homeless Kids Project. And so essentially what we want to be able to do is if they have a need, this is how God provides in this day and age, right? As he uses his people, is we want to be able to provide that need. And so we clear and open communication. So um, when we have something, if somebody needs it, we give it away. And so an example of that is that um, we were contacted by Amistad. So Amistad is a youth shelter in the South Valley. And so they, Amistad contacted us like two weeks ago. And every Everything was just starting with the coronavirus, and they're like, hey, so we don't have any shampoo or conditioner or body wash. Do you guys have any? And they were thinking of, like, the little bottles and all of that stuff. Well, we had just happened to get this huge donation. Um, somebody had gone to, like, Dollar Tree and had just bought, like, all of these full-size bottles of shampoo and conditioner and body wash. And so, um, so we're like, yeah, we can do that. So we just – we had a volunteer that was here. She went and she packed up about – 60 bottles total of all of those basically and took it down there to provide because this is how God's providing. So what we're doing is we're being light in that situation um, for them. And I'm going to tell you something. Amistad's budget is huge compared to my budget. My budget is potatoes, but how great is it that, um, that God shows his grace and his mercy and his love and his light by the little teeny tiny organization that receives no federal funding to provide <laughs> For the giant entity, right? That is amazing. That is and really... that's how it's been for all of our agencies. We've had huge agencies with huge budgets call us and say, we don't have any underwear. And we just so happen to have tons of underwear. And so we're like, oh, well, we do. Let's take it to you. Because this is how God works. He uses his people to funnel those resources. And when you're doing that, you're representing him. That's wonderful. Shelly, you're one of those people that I could sit and talk with uh, probably longer than you would want to talk with me. And, uh, I, but our episode here is going to come to an end, and I am so grateful for the time that you've given us and for the work that you're doing and for the volunteers that have come alongside to support that ministry. And we do pray that uh, more churches will be involved in supporting that, that you'll um, be receiving more volunteers, hopefully, than you know what to do with, and, uh, and that God will inspire you and direct your your work and give you wisdom to to utilize and um, and motivate and and direct all these resources that I think are available and sometimes we just need the help knowing where we can help and what we can do and I pray that this particular podcast will be a small drop in that uh, or even a big drop in that and 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 I want to uh, remind our listeners that we are talking with Charlie Rep of the New Mexico Dream Center and the website for her organization is NM Dream Center. .org. That's nmdreamcenter.org. If you want to get to this ministry through um, the Heights Cumberland Presbyterian Easter offering, please uh, send a check or a bank draft or however you want to do it um, to Heights Church with uh, Easter offering in the memo line. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you, Shelly. And uh, thank you. 
thank you for inspiring us and for encouraging us and for not being afraid to give us the dose of reality uh, so we know what to do with it. And let's, let's shine a light, like you said, on these, on these things in our world. Um, let's, we don't want to let darkness win. Uh, God is light, and uh, his light is truth, and he brings truth into this world, and we want to be a part of that story. Father, please bless Shelly in her work and the work of all the volunteers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shelly, thank you so Amen. much. Thank you for having me. Can I close with one really quick quote? Yes. Awesome. By William Wilberforce. He was an abolitionist um, back in the 1800s. And this is what he said. You may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that I did not know. That's right. And now we know. Now you know. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. May the peace of Christ be with you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah.